Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Experts Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And now it's time for me to welcome all my guests. Welcome back, Dan Kirsch, who is a distinguished senior fellow at the Institute for Energy Research, better known as IER. Now, Dan, this is not your first time on the show. I welcome you back. But before I give you the floor, I'd like to tell our listeners a little bit about you. You have more than 25 years of experience on congressional committees, focusing primarily upon natural resources and energy policy. So you're very much a veteran and an expert in this area. Uh, you also, uh, some of your service includes a principal resource for committees in the House and Senate, that included six years as the chief of staff for the Republicans on the House Resource Committee and four years in the Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee staffing. You're also a graduate of Wabash College in uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks so much, Kim. Great to see you. I always love having guests on the show that have so much experience and then yet can break it down, the, the very complicated topic of energy and what's happening in D.C. and how it affects our lives uh, in a common sense way. And you, uh, by far, Dan, have been one of the best ones. What you guys are doing uh, there at your agency, the Institute for Energy Research, keep it up. You know, you're really bringing a lot of a lot of the nonsense, actually, that's happening in Washington, D.C., uh, as we are on this crazy path for energy transition and climate change. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot going on. Let's let's get started, Dan, with um you, you caught my eye. You guys put out a research paper talking about the proposed rules for tailpipe admission standards from the Environmental Protection Agency, better known as the EPA. And this seems to be a massive overreach um, by the EPA. Um, and it appears as though there's an agenda uh, that the Biden administration has, and the EPA is more than happy to help with um, their ideology on it. Uh, we need to do something with now uh, tailpipe admissions. First, break it down for us. What's the proposal, the proposed uh, changes that the EPA wants to make? Um, and how is this further by uh, increasing the Biden administration's path forward for uh, greener standards? And uh, and then we'll get into electric vehicles as well. Go ahead. Yep, sure, Kim. Well, it's important to remember what CAFE was all about. Uh, the corporate average fuel economy was put in place in the mid-70s in order to, at the same time, they dropped the speed limit to 55 because we were running out of oil and we're too dependent upon the Middle East. Uh, over the years, uh, the CAFE standards have taken on a, a totally different uh, approach in terms of their impact on our lives and their impacts on the types of uh, vehicles we, we buy. The uh, Biden administration, and previous to it, the Obama administration, saw it as a way to drive people under, uh, remember, it's corporate average fuel economy. It's fuel economy. But what they're now doing is they're changing it from that to uh, uh, tailpipe emissions and not the bad stuff. Because, listen, in, the, uh, 1970, uh, in 1973, a car sitting out in a parking lot where the engine turned off, gave off more emissions than a car today going down the highway at 60 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. 
literally because of uh, controls in the engines and PCV valves and all the rest of the stuff that uh, have happened, fuel injection, you name it. Our cars are extremely clean today. Our air is cleaner than it has been. At uh, any time in the life of anyone alive today, and yet under the auspices of this, what they're what they're really doing is this is a climate, this is a supposed climate uh, initiative. Uh, yes, exactly. It's to drive, and it's not, and it's more than that because you have to accept the idea that somehow EVs are going to solve any kind of climate problem we might be having. When in reality, uh, if the entire United States were with the EVs, it wouldn't make a whit of difference in terms of temperature uh, going forward. But, you know, that's the climate cult, and that's the way they approach it. That's that's the way they decide to do these things. So what they've done is they've driven up the emission standards so high for carbon dioxide that in order to meet them, manufacturers, people are going to have to buy about two-thirds of the cars that are going to be sold uh, within, within less than 10 years are going to have to be EVs. So it's a backdoor way to force you to drive a battery-powered car uh, and all of the, all that that means with regard to your personal transportation range, uh, capacity, towing capacity, you name it, all the things that uh, people take into consideration when making a significant, uh, you know, probably the second largest expenditure most people make after their house. But, you know, the, the troubling thing, though, for me is as I hear this, you know, we do go through changes and sometimes they are really good. Like we all were fighting the whole seatbelt debacle. Nobody wanted to be told what to do, but seatbelts do save lives. And I think they have been a benefit overall. But that was a common sense saving lives, not costing anybody any money to make these changes. And yet it had a whole lot of upside to it versus, uh, you know, a downside to it. This is not the same. This is going to cost consumers. I, I, I can't even imagine what the poor people, the indigent people are going to do. Because if you look at the average cost of an EV, uh, and maybe they're going to go down, but I don't see how. We're going to get further into this in the show about how China has a, a play in this. Um, these vehicles, will they really come down to an affordable $15,000, $25,000 car range anytime soon? Um, and who, if they can't pay for this, and I just see a whole lot of money being spent and lost, actually, from these manufacturers of these vehicles. And I can't wrap my head around it. So here's what I want you to explain to me. The EPA, I know you said this is their intent, is openly stating that their intent is to make rules that will force the transition of, of uh, electric vehicles. But there was also news that was made that U.S. car companies uh, are basically, are they linked to China? And and this process, if we're going to make these um, changes, you know, and the EPA is forcing us, the administration is forcing us to move down this path. My understanding, there's not enough minerals to build these batteries for all these EVs. And I, last I checked, and I drive a lot around Texas, I don't see a whole bunch of charging stations all along, you know, the freeways when we're driving, and they don't go as far. So, so in your opinion, let's start with our U.S. companies like Ford. And because uh, Ford has made the news lately, are they somehow or another linking to China in this process of, you know, trying to bring us more EV vehicles? And how dependent does that make us on China? Great question, Kim. Um, yes, they are. And part of the reason they're doing it is because the Chinese, the, the Chinese lead the world in terms of uh, 
battery technology, but also it, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, uh, you know, provided we were going to use our own energy. There's no uh, necessary benefit from using a battery. But uh, our government is trying to force us to stop using the stuff that produces 80% of our energy, that is natural gas, coal, and oil. So in its quest to do that, they use the climate to justify pushing these things, all of which cost much more. I mean, the average, uh, uh, for, for example, not only not only does an average EV sale car in the United States cost about $20,000 more than an a internal combustion engine car across the spectrum, uh, Insurance is 27% higher on EVs uh, than it is on an uh, internal combustion vehicle. So all of the costs are higher. If you want to charge it at home, because that's the dream of everyone, gee, I'll just take it home. I won't have to stop at the charging station. I'll just charge it in my garage. You're in for a couple of thousand dollars at least for both the charger as well as the rewiring of your house in order to be able to do it. And then it charges all night. And if you're lucky, it doesn't catch fire and burn your house down. But, you know, the thing that I'm concerned about as well is every time we mention China, I, I hate to sound like Donald Trump, but it's China, 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 because it is China, 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 China. China seems to get uh, always, they do whatever they want, and they never seem to uh, atone for it. Well, if you're really after climate change, why are you all burning so many coal factory plants? Why do you have so many going and why do you keep bringing more on board? We're gonna talk about that in a minute. But I wanna get back to Ford because they received a lot of money from the IRA, the Inf Inflation Reduction Act. And they're actually you know, going to build uh, a plant uh, where in Michigan, but the, who is their partner? It's a Chinese battery maker, uh, Cat Elf who's going to build these EV batteries. We can't manufacture them here ourselves. Lithium, uh, cobalt, these are precious, uh, not enough minerals we have. And, and yet, you know, it looks like there's, there could be, now Ford is reassuring everyone that they're not going to get any of this money, but we're, there's, this Inf Inflation Reduction Act now is expected to exceed $1 trillion. Why is it that the American manufacturers are not taking this money? Why are we partnering with China? We remember what happened when COVID came. Uh, you know, or when COVID arrived, uh, and they manufactured our uh, penicillin, they manufactured our gloves, our masks, and they were very quick to say, if you don't behave, we won't ship it to you. We were, we were at their mercy, and it seems like we're doing this again with our vehicles. Or we're on yes. Yes, um, this is a major concern that ought to concern all Americans, Kim. I mean, put your finger on it. China China leads in electric vehicle battery technology because mm -hmm. unlike the United States, China wasn't energy independent. We were. We became energy independent. We've got God-given resources. Even though we've drilled, the, the amazing thing to me from a historical perspective is we drill more wells in the United States than the entire rest of the world combined since 1857 and the, the, the discovery well at Titusville, Pennsylvania. Um, and yet we're the leading producer of oil and gas in the world. So there's a lot more where, uh, this stuff is coming from. We used to say, we got to get off oil because we're running out of it. We've discovered as many of us thought that we're far from being, out of it. <laughs> yeah. we've got enormous quantities of oil and so yeah. does the rest of the world. China, however, 
because of their economic system and everything else didn't have that. So they went after decades ago, they went after, let's go to electric, let's uh, get minerals, let's uh, establish outposts in countries around the world in Africa uh, through our Belt and Road Initiative. And let's basically uh, colonize economically these other places around the world. So now they control the cobalt industry, which is essential for batteries in uh, the, the Congo. Uh, meanwhile, we've got mines that are ready to open in the United States with people willing to best invest billions of dollars and our government is saying no. So we're basically being driven into the Chinese arms. And people think that uh, trying to get masks is difficult uh, from China if we have a problem with what happens with our energy. Exactly. Dan, let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on the problem with EVs, China, the connection, the coziness of this administration as well, and so far, like officials. You're listening to Indie World Pet Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to Indie World Pet Radio Show. My guest today is Dan Kish, who is a distinguished senior fellow at the Institute for Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, before the break, you were, uh, you know, helping us to understand the connection between a lot of um, companies, motor co uh, car companies, received money, Ford being specifically one of them, that received money from the IRA, the Infl Inflation Reduction Act. Actually, it looks like it's going to be over a trillion dollars in trying to make the push forward with electric vehicles. Some of our listeners are going to be saying, well, Kim, I like the electric vehicle. Great, you can afford a $40,000 or more electric vehicle, and that's great. Not every American can. And I'm not so sure if I'm ready to move forward with this, understanding that we do not have the ability to manufacture enough batteries. We don't have enough power stations. So the push forward is too fast, too quick. And we keep watching other countries who keep trying to go too fast, too quick, and it's a disaster for them. Europe, just look at Europe. And here we go with the EPA is pushing and marching forward with tailgate admissions or proposals to that, to change that. Ford Motor Credit is announcing they're opening up a manufacturing plant in Michigan to produce electric uh, vehicle batteries so we can push this on. However, they're connecting with China. And yet what, what doesn't make sense to me, but I'm glad to see the elected officials, it makes no sense to me, but I'm glad to see that our US Congress is finding it imperative for them to decouple the U.S. car manufacturing from China. And I think that's important that we look at it because it's not just for our economic benefit, but it also is a matter of national security. You guys wrote about this uh, on one of your uh, blogs. It's titled uh, U.S. Car Companies Linked to China and Their Rush to Manufacture uh, Electronic Vehicles. This is nothing more than money, right? Everybody's just getting their hands in and grabbing the money. And, and and I don't know, but it seems like to me, you're selling out America. And there's a lot of people doing this, a lot of companies. Um, I want your opinion on that because I'm looking and I can't find why any company would do that. When, you, when we start counting the amount of money that they are losing in billions of dollars, these manufacturers of these vehicles, and yet they still continue to push forward. Explain to me what's happening. Why are they doing this? Uh, well, <laughs> Well, what's, ha what's happened is uh, they've been pushed along. I mean, basically, you have one successful U.S. EV manufacturer. It's Tesla. Correct. 
Correct. And Tesla, Tesla got involved in it before anybody else was in it. And because they make all electric cars, they actually receive money from other manufacturers, especially in places like California. They actually get uh, people who don't make enough electric cars have to pay Tesla credit to buy credits to let them off the hook for not selling enough. And that's only going to get worse. So they've been successful. People have looked at the share price. Investors have looked at Tesla's share price and these other companies uh, have looked at that and said, gee, we want that kind of return. Um, but their people are interested in buying F-150s with a with a strong engine that can tow things and go for uh, several hundred miles on a tank of gas. You can't do that with these other vehicles. And because the Chinese invited in American companies long ago but told them, we need to look at your books, your uh, technology, and everything else that was part of the deal. They now have all of the technology, or they've stolen it, so that uh, they lead the world. And now our own government is saying, hey, knowing that the Chinese lead the world in this technology, we're going to force you to buy an electric car. And we're going to force you to buy these things with their minerals. And... Uh, uh, so yeah, it's it it's always been about money and uh, and the idea that somehow they can make more money, uh, but the Chinese <laughs> Chinese are just in a much better place to make electric vehicles. Uh, you know, a common sense person would say, hey, if you got plenty of oil, why not use it? Um, and and make gasoline and make cars more efficient and always cleaner. And, you know, that's been the, that's been the history of this, but instead they're trying to transfer, uh, transform our entire economy. And uh, I have to tell you, you know, for those of us who believe that national security is directly connected mm -hmm. to energy security, that's uh, right. scares that's right. the hell out. Yeah. Let me, let me give our listeners what Ford's numbers are of losing money in the EV market. And yet, right. Our government is giving them more money to continue to go down the EV market. So there's something that does it because you can't run a household while you're always in a deficit. You can't run a business this way either. So what is Ford's formula? I don't know, but let's look. They produced 61,575 EVs last year. The EV division lost $2.1 billion or $34,000 on every car, on every car. Losses are expected to increase by 1.3 billion this year. And even Ford produces 100,000 EVs is still going to lose about 31,000 on every car. So they're losing money on making the vehicles, but yet they're going into manufacturing the batteries so they can continue to stay in the business. You're right that there's something wrong here. It's not even mathematical. Yeah. It's, you know, um, it, it's a sad day when, when, when you think about what's happening with um, the government and these companies in China. Anyway, let's get on to another topic, um, I, unless you have something to say on this, but I do think it's a matter of national security that we're looking at. I think that we have been selling out a lot of um, what makes this country independent, and we need to start waking up, which is why I have the show. And I talk about these things with guests like you, Dan, because you got to start making common sense about what's happening here and, and EVs, we're not ready for it. And again, you know what? I like EVs. They, they have a place. 
they do. I, I think that um, for certain people and, and Tesla's cars are beautiful. Um, they're, you know, they're manufactured here. I don't have a problem with EVs. It's how fast we're doing it, our part, who we're partnering with. Uh, this administration seems to have a real genuine liking to China. And I don't think I like China that much. Well, what do you think? I, I think there's a lot of reasons not to like China that much and to, to wonder about the sanity, honestly, to wonder about the sanity of leaders and uh, of both business as well as government. Who, yeah. No one's in, questioning in face, anybody. Right. In the face of all that we know about China and their uh, everything. I mean, they make our solar panels. They make our windmill parts. They make our, now they're making our car parts um, at some point. And, and it's not like they're back in the days when Japan was rising. Uh, uh, simply interested in the commerce side, making their life better for their people. This, this is world dominance that they're at. Yeah, they've they've declared that they seek world domination, and to, to do that in light of that is just awful. The one thing I will say is this, Kim, and uh, you know, apparently Americans aren't ready for EVs either because the latest data shows that they're sitting on lots. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Hang on, let's take a quick break and return. We'll get on that. Sure. Uh, you're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dan Kish, who is a distinguished senior fellow at the Institute for Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, before the break, we were talking about, you know, the, the craziness just on, on the surface level. Anybody can understand something's not right here. We're not ready for this. Uh, we're also not ready for all the windmills and the solar panels that are coming in. Everybody wants to get off oil and gas. And, and we know that's just not possible. If that happens, uh, millions of people will die instantly from not having a, a ventilator, uh, access to air, heat. So so, so I don't want to even, I, I just want to be clear about it. We're not ready to do that, folks. And if you think that we are, you're living in fantasy world. Where it's a transition, what's going to happen, and we got to, you know, calm down a little bit. You were talking about that the American people are kind of finally waking up and seeing this is not good for us. It's not good for our pocketbook. Um, I, I don't mind driving an EV as long as it's affordable. Maybe it'll be, you know, another five, 10 years down the road before we have a, an amount of EV vehicles that I can afford, a secondhand one. These batteries are very pricey when they go out. Um, well, what does yeah. the data show of the American people and how they're uh, responding to this uh, administration's push on uh, electric vehicles? Well, the, the number of vehicles uh, sold last year was an increase, but, you know, things have changed. I mean, interest rates are higher. That means borrowing costs are higher. Uh, yeah. And if you take a $65,000, which I think is the average price of an EV sold in the United States now, um, $65,000 and then have a higher interest rate on it, it's going to make it outside the range of a lot of Americans, obviously. And uh, and so they're sitting on lots. And there was just a story in the Wall Street Journal this week about how they're, uh, uh, they're, they're sitting on lots around the country. And uh, I'm not sure what that means, whether that's long-lived or not. I, I do know this. As people become more familiar with the technology and the, 
the limitations of these technologies, the problems charging, the length of time it takes. I mean, I get upset if I pull up and I have a 25 gallon tank on my rig. Uh, if it takes me more than five minutes to fill the tank, I'm, I'm anxious to get out of there. Uh, the idea of having to be there for 45 minutes or an hour to get an 80% refill on a supercharging uh, phase three charger at some station doesn't appeal to me in the least. I don't know about you. I can't spend all my time at a gas station. Yeah. Um, time is money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and it's, it's the only, you know, we're fond of saying it's the only limited resource we really have because we create our uh, ways around the other ones. So, um, yep, that's that's what's happening. People are beginning to see the problems. They they have friends who have them. There's a lot of people getting rid of them after a few months because, gee, this doesn't perform as I expect. And, you know, I'm not an expert in this area, uh, but I do know that I was reading an article about that these uh, batteries can explode. And when they explode, your fire department better know how to respond to it because it's not as simple as you put water on it. Actually, water makes the situation worse. And uh, so if, if the vehicle catches fire, that battery can explode. You cannot use water. And I wonder if anybody listening who drives a Tesla even had any idea about that. It reminds me of a time when I had a Porsche and I didn't know I didn't have a spare until I had a flat. And then it was, oh, no. So um, I don't think I really necessarily want to be in a vehicle that has the potential of um, catching fire. Uh, if you hit a tree, that's what it was, was the, the vehicle. I won't name the name, but I'm sure we all know what it is. It hit a tree and the battery exploded. And the fire department came and put water on it because they hadn't been trained properly. And they had to encase that entire uh, vehicle or battery into a container because on the on the belief that it was going to explode because they had put water on it. And I was, to me, I was thinking, man, that's just a little bit too much. I don't want to be in anything like that. So these batteries have issues within themselves, safety issues. And um, I don't know if every single fire department in the United States of America would really know, since a lot of them are volunteers, do they really know how to respond if that battery should uh, explode or catch fire? What do you do with it? Um, and so you don't do that. You know, another thing, Dan, that um, uh, is not making sense to me is the Biden's energy grid is not prepared for the onslaught of electric vehicles either. So, you know, we don't see when we're driving down the freeways, we don't see these uh, charging stations. You see a few of them. And then how long do you have to sit there and charge? But when do we, you know, it, 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 as fast as the Biden administration is pushing um, this administration, their electric grid is not even ready for the onslaught of these electric vehicles. So we have so many problems. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want you to tell us about what is the problem with the grid and why is this administration pushing forward uh, so quickly for electric vehicles. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dan Kish, who is a distinguished senior fellow for the Institute for Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, um, before the break, I, I had a moment with um, just trying to understand. This is so complicated. Why? It, it doesn't make sense 
why are we pushing for EVs? Why is this administration? Why are some of our ma uh, manufacturers? And I get there's money. Uh, probably there's money uh, for people who voted for Joe Biden. That this is why he's pushing electric vehicles. But just there's also a problem with this transition and him pushing ahead. The, the grid is not ready to handle all this. Let's say he made this happen. Let's say the EPA and everybody is just pushing these vehicles and here they come. Do we really have the capability of, of doing this with all these vehicles they want to push out there? No, we don't. So what's uh, going to happen then? then? <laughs> well, I mean, you saw it. I, I, I know California had this problem last summer. Uh, when they were getting to the end of their rope on electrical supplies during a heat wave, uh, they sent out they they sent out a, a warning to people to not charge to their electric vehicles uh, certain times of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and, that means you can't and drive. Since these are, you can't drive. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean they're basically saying. You will have to go without it. It reminds me of the 70s when uh, you had odd even license plate days for filling up because of uh, oil shortages or purported oil shortages in gasoline. And uh, so that's what, and, and here's the problem with the grid. It's taken us over 100 years to build our existing grid. Elon Musk uh, himself said that you'll have to double the size of the grid. Some some uh, reports out of Princeton University and other places have indicated that it could be as high as five times as big in order to make this energy transition. Now, what that means is that something that's taken us all these years, much of which was before we even had all these lengthy environmental reviews and that sort of thing, we just put up poles and uh, generators and all the rest, is now expected to be doubled to quintupled in size in order to accommodate electrification of vehicles, uh, doing away with gas furniture, uh, furnaces and, and gas stoves and doing everything electric. Because so, for some reason, they seem to like the idea that every everything will be electric and that'll all run smoothly without thinking about the fact that uh, uh, we're... We don't have the capacity. We don't have the electricians to do this. You know, uh, it's it's an enormous, and they're forcing it. They're forcing it. So that means we'll be buying lots of stuff from China. Transformers. They lead the world in transformers. We need chips. huge numbers of transformers. Chips. Everything. And what they do is their response to China being able to do all these things, rather than freeing up American industry or opening a mine or letting a people build a pipeline or whatever it may be here, they stop that here. And then they say, gee, look at, look at what's going on in China. And they say the only way to do that is to give four billions of dollars to subsidize them doing it. It's a, it's an industrial policy. I hate to say it, but it sounds a lot like what Germany had during the fascist days of the Third Reich, where they told the industry to make certain things for the war effort, and they did it. And, and, and uh, you know, that takes the creativity out of it. It, it uh, 
the the way the market typically works is is people come up with a better mousetrap and and people buy it. The government doesn't force you to buy that particular mousetrap because somebody else may have another mousetrap that's better. So let's put a little faith in humankind and Americans and stop dictating what it is we drive, how we cook, how we heat our homes. Uh, I think we're all smart enough to do that, but apparently a lot of people in Washington don't. Right. Well, they, they live in that bubble there. They don't, they're not yeah. like us. They don't live in the real world. I want to read some of your uh, facts on the Biden administration pushing forward. Some of the facts y'all state is pushing electrification in the U.S. vehicle fleet at a time when the grid is not ready is growing. It's growing much weaker because of political correctness, intermittent, intermittent renewable energy, which is not reliable, that we're also moving toward. Uh, and Biden is threatening both electrical and the transportation system upon which Americans rely on. It, we're talking about a crap show here getting ready to happen, or better yeah. terms, a shit show. Um, yeah. The EPA is pushing regulations that could shut down 60% of generation, even as if there are plans to electrify everything, places an unprecedented demand upon it. And agencies such as FERC and NERC are beginning to issue warnings about the visibility of such an approach. So even some of their agencies are telling them, hey, you might want to slow down a little bit, and we're still pushing forward through, through all of these unreliables and uh, not ready for EVs, um, the batteries, everything. It's, it's just amazing what's happening here. Um, and... But but Kim, if I if I may, remember, they're doing all these things, but you have to think differently, a little bit differently about the way it looks. If you're interested in extending the government's power over people, then what you would do is actually seek policies which cause a breakdown, which they. Then you can turn around and say, look at, see, the climate is so bad that we need more powers. We need emergency powers to deal so they're with They're manufacturing because crises. They're manufacturing crises. So that way we see them. Okay. Yep. Yes. It's the, it's the only, it is, it is the only justifiable or, or justifi justifiable answer to why when they have very smart people who know that this is, uh, uh, who, who who may not be the politicians, but the people who advise them, who know that this these problems are happening, mm -hmm. they they continue to do it. And the only thing one can conclude is that uh, you know never let a good crisis go to waste. And if you can create one, all the better. Yeah, and that's what they're doing. You know that is a lot of why I really wanted to, uh, you know, we started with Shell and we're on the radio was to talk about it because it's a complicated topic. A lot of it doesn't make sense to the average person. And they get up and they go to work every day like they're supposed to, you know, come home, want to spend time with their husbands, their children, their wives, go to a baseball game, enjoy their life, not catch up with what's happening in the world of energy. And yet it comes back to, you've got to know this stuff because then you go and you elect people that are doing this and just putting more money on the backs of you, taking more money out of your pockets through regulation, through taxes, and everything is going straight back into certain people's pocketbooks. When we get back from break, I want to talk about China again, and then I want to talk about John Kerry. <laughs> so let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Wolfpack Radio Show. We'll be right back.
Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry. Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest is Dan Kish, who is a distinguished senior fellow for the Institute for Energy Research, better known as IER. Dan, um, just when you think that um, the whole um, green movement has, you know, made their way, uh, everything is changing. Congress is, is providing these large uh, stipends of money for companies to push in the green uh, transition, and and I am for it. I am. I, I'd love to bring on guests to talk about what they're doing. If they're producing a technology that's a solution, I want to talk about it in the green space. We can always get greener. We can always get better. But I'm not about talking about BS on this show when things don't work. <laughs> it's not right. Fossil fuels, according to you guys, they remain strong in 2022 globally despite increases in renewable energy. What, what do you think is happening? Well, what's happening is despite all the hype that we hear in the media about renewable energy and the expansion of renewable energy, uh, the truth of the matter is the world runs on fossil energy. Organic energy is what I refer to it as because it really truly is organic energy. It came from biomass of differing types depending on uh, what it is and where it came from, but it is organic. That's the basis. Um, and as people look for, there's a reason China is using coal, by the way, they, they, it's, uh, despite what people tell us about, you know, other sources being cheaper, China doesn't buy into that. They put up wind and solar, but they use coal to make the wind and solar uh, products. So, um, but, but what's really happening is that the world is using more energy as people seek to lift themselves out of poverty around the world. Um, it's taken for granted in the West. I think part of the problem uh, of the West is the lack of understanding of history or uh, the, the sort of comfort level that we've all got because we can just touch our thermostat, it changes our environment. And uh, transportation and logistics and all the rest are made easy. So we just assume we're always gonna have that you know, expensive cup of coffee uh, brought in from uh, Ecuador, wherever the, the <laughs> uh, highbrow coffee comes from, um, or, or champagne from uh, the Champagne okay. region of France, or you name it. it. All these things occur, we've gotten used to them, we somehow assume that that's just the natural order of things, when in reality, they only exist because of widely available and affordable and reliable energy. And so we've got I don't want to say we have a nation of ingrates so much as uh, oh, go ahead and say just, it's the truth. <laughs> just forget, you know, they just forget that hey, life was tough. You know, I mean, in at the beginning of World War II, uh, half the guys that went off to fight came from homes without indoor plumbing. It wasn't that long ago. Um, so all of these things have changed in our lives. People have got comfortable. Some of the most comfortable forget. Uh, that anybody ever lived close to it. And yet I see a million people starving to death in Ethiopia because of uh, 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 food shortages. Um, yeah. 
And energy makes those things go away. You can pump water with it. You can make fertilizer out of it. You can do all the, you can drive equipment that uh, increases yields of agriculture so that people no longer starve. Um, and I guess, I guess the point is that uh, we, we at, our, at our own potential peril, we forget how easy energy has made our lives and somehow soon we can duplicate that and it took a long, long time to figure out the system that we had. And they're trying to jam something down our throat, government-sanctioned uh, approach. And, you know, I, I've lived in Washington for more than half my life. And I can tell you that the people there are no smarter than any of the people listening to this show or any of the Americans that go out there. They're, they're subject to the, despite, they may think they're smarter. They may be more expert in particular fields. But when it comes to common sense, they're pretty dry. Yeah, it, it, it seems like that because a lot of the bonehead policies that are coming out <laughs> reflected. But, you know, it's also a, another really great guest I've had on the show is Mike Howard, uh, president of Howard Energy. And, you know, he does a, a lot of uh, traveling to other countries. When he gets on the show, he discusses, you know, there's many, many uh, people still living in poverty. And there is no country that you can name that if they are energy poverty, if they have, if they are still struggling with energy poverty or lack of energy, they are poor. And what, yep. like you said, what gets them out of poverty is access to energy, clean, reliable energy. So it's good to see that it's only going to keep continuing to rise because those countries, no, we do not here in the United States, have the right to tell some mother in Africa, just because you're poor, your child does not get to live because they don't have access to an incubator or potentially uh, clean drinking water. This is a moral situation as well. And instead of taking energy off the table, we should be allowing as much as we can, all things considered. And so I wanna quickly run through. Um, you guys, uh, uh, today is Thursday, scratch that. Um, um, you all had some talking points for questions for a special envoy for Carrie, who is scheduled, who, who spoke, sorry, who spoke for the House Foreign Affairs Committee on Oversight and Accountability. Um, and, you know, John Kerry uh, says, you know, he goes around, he cares about the planet, but I don't never, I don't believe he ever goes to these countries that are poor and without access to energy to tell them that um, they need to uh, not expect energy at all, I guess, for them. Uh, but one of the questions that, that you guys suggested you wanted to ask him was, I love that it says, can you provide an estimate as to how much carbon dioxide you admitted a year in traveling the world on your official capacity as special envoy on climate? Because he can fly around in a private jet, right? Going around and telling everybody to get off of it. It reminds me of the people who show up to protest and they show up with a car with you know, makeup on with tennis shoes, you know, just like, no, uh-uh. So tell me, what do you think uh, he had to say on this uh, hearing and um, where do you think it goes? Well, uh, my guess is uh, uh, John Kerry is, uh, you know, sort of a bloviator from way back. So I'm sure he had some uh, answer about how he buys carbon credits or something. That's typically been his response. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was asked a question like this. And he said, well, I, I think he was in Iceland at the time. And he said, well, people like me are doing important business and therefore we need to get where we're going. And of course, which kind of tells you everything you have to know. There is a group right. of people. You're a little minion, be quiet. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, 
the, I'll tell you, Kim, on a personal level, you know, the great thing about America was that it was set up to 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 basically let people reach their potential. And it it was so different because we didn't have these elites. I mean, we've always had, you know, elites of different kinds, but we didn't have these sort of set positions in life. And people could rise and fall depending on their their attributes. And it seems to me like a huge part of this is pushed by people uh, uh, at the very top who don't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from or or whether they've got enough money to make it to the end of the month after they pay the utility bill or pay for the energy for their transportation or whatever, you know, who don't worry about, gee, my exhaust system just uh, uh, dropped out of my car. Uh, where am I going to come up with the money for it? Instead, yeah. they flit around the world trying to solve everybody else's problems, usually at somebody else's expense. Thank you for joining me today on the show. I appreciate your no-nonsense talk with me and just kind of breaking things down. Um, and I look forward to when you come back on the show. Thanks so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. And anytime you want, Kim, I'm happy to help. So I, I probably will be on you a little bit more. Thank you, Dan. Have a wonderful week. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.